Oh, wait, I think I did it wrong that time. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm recording yeah. all this, so we'll just keep it all. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it all in there. The bloopers. Let's just. Let's just do this. Okay. All right. Hi everyone. Welcome to Coastal. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Um, I'm Travis Kukio. I'm Andrea Zetlow. And we've got our favorite repeat. Is this like a three-peat for you, Shane? <laughs> a three-peat yes. on the podcast? Uh, everybody. This is my third, welcome third time, yeah. Shane Hauser, everybody. Shane, you love yeah. it. Architect. Starting to overstay oh, my welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just he's just taking this thing over. So, um, very fun <laughs> podcast plan for today, in depth, since we've got Shane, our uh, resident cinephile on board we uh, we're gonna be talking about yeah i know uh, we're gonna be talking about um architecture in film um wonderful medium to enjoy architecture from visual tangible and also maybe to learn from i would think yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely so um yeah shane i guess so first we're gonna talk a little bit about our work terms all oh, right right okay i'm just like Ooh. jumping right into this thing here i'm getting so excited about the movies <laughs> no, wait, wait for the movie. Sandra, you've got a, a long list of interview questions prepared there. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, if you Um <laughs> Shane, how's the work going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, let's just start over that. We'll uh We'll just let start with me, hey. Yeah, yeah. So um so Shane, I guess start off by just telling us like where it is you're working and um yeah, and just kind of what led you to uh to want to apply there, like what type of work they do and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so I, for work term, I wanted to work in Edmonton and that was kind of priority number one. I'm from Edmonton in case you don't know. Um, and so the only, the only thing that really materialized was uh, a position at Stantec of all places. Um, and if you don't know, Stantec is like a massive company, 22,000 employees. Um, and they do, uh, they do a lot of engineering and infrastructure, um, as well as architecture. They, they do a lot of different things. Right. So, okay. So is, are they, are they like international then or are they Canadian? They are international. Ooh. They started in Edmonton. They're from Edmonton. Oh, wow. Uh, they started in Edmonton. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But they're all over the place. Um. So yeah. are you at like the the original office, like the or like a head office or something? I'm at I'm at the head office. Oh, nice. Um, and so right now, Stantec is uh, sort of in Edmonton, sort of in like two or three buildings. Um, but then next month we're going to be moving into the new Stantec Tower. Ooh. Which is in downtown Edmonton, and it's uh, I guess it's apparently the tallest building in Canada outside of Toronto. Oh wow. So, I guess that's cool. Tower. So, uh, so have you met Stan? I haven't met, <laughs> I haven't met Stan himself. No. Okay, well, still plenty of time left, I guess, you know? Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what happens, we'll see. No, that's pretty cool. Uh, we definitely have a few other cohorts um, working at Stan Tech offices. Yeah, around. I think some guys are in Stan Tech Vancouver, right? Yeah. Santiago and... Uh, and the Pearl, Thomas Pearl, or I thought. Was no, there's three right, of Thomas. Yeah. yeah. And Reagan's also there. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. In Vancouver? Yeah. 
Oh wow! I haven't they have seen whole, any of them. They have a whole team of students there. All all the best uh, firms do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, my experience so far at work has been uh, I'm the only student there, and nobody knows what to do with me. So <laughs> I've done a little bit of sitting around the first couple of weeks. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, you digging. Uh, do you have like? So you really are you really feeling like an island out there? Like honestly, not. Uh... No, no, no. It's not that bad. Okay. But uh, it's just it's just um, a matter of getting people to know that I'm available for work like people within the office um you not have like I don't know a team leader that you're reporting to or something? yeah my supervisor was kind of uh flaky hmm. <laughs> for the first week I guess I mean not flaky he's just been busy so right just didn't know how to like incorporate you into their workflow or whatever yeah exactly um I would imagine that somewhere where there's a team of students, it might be a little bit different because they're kind of like, oh, we have all these students and maybe somebody's kind of making sure to run that, like just the operation of having co-op students. Right. Whereas cl clearly that's not the case uh, for me. Well, it does sound like a, uh, a pretty cool place though, like um, just being so large and huge and moving into the tower is going to be fun, I can imagine, it being this kind <laughs> of... Uh, monumental place in uh, in your hometown it'd be fun to be like the <laughs> yeah. first people in there you know i was like going back to places uh i was like going to places like when they first open and then going back later and being like oh i feel like <laughs> i feel like i'm part of this thing or something like that yeah yeah I, I i'd look forward to that myself i think that's pretty cool yeah so shane do you have to wear a suit to work um i mean there is <laughs> very important clutch. the dress code is very uh it's pretty vague it's basically like dress the way people expect you to dress oh nice so, I, I, i've i've noticed that it definitely looks like for some employees at my office that casual friday applies to the entire week mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i'm not too concerned with being underdressed which i haven't been okay nice yeah well, i don't wear a suit i mean i wear dress clothes you know collars that sort of thing but no ties? Yeah. Right. No ties. No, that's that would be a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty fun. Um, so I guess I could... Do you have any idea... Oh, oh no, go ahead, yeah. Ask if you have any idea, like, what project out there that you're going to work on. Um, I'm not sure. There's a... There was one project that I think we might be uh, submitting a bid on. And that one, it looks kind of interesting. There's this really rundown school in Alexander First Nation, which is not too far from Edmonton. And so that project is probably going to be a renovation and uh, addition project, but it could potentially be um, a new building project as well. Um, like if the cost of the renovation is too... Well, the, I, there's already been a sort of feasibility study done on that one, and it looks like, um, I mean, a new building would be sub substantially more expensive. So the, the renovation and extension thing might is probably the, the, the option that makes the most sense. Hmm. Um, and so I was given, given that to look through uh, because I was told that my supervisor was going to be working on it, and then I asked him about it, and he didn't know anything about it. So, 
Uh, we'll see. So maybe I'll get to, to work on that one for the proposal or whatever. We shall see. Cool. That's fun. Well, I'm sure at some point in time here over uh, this before term, you'll just elbow your way back onto the podcast here because since you love it so much so we'll uh <laughs> we'll check in with you on that later and do uh sure you'll be the uh the work term update hopefully i have something more interesting to report well speaking of interesting and uh kind of western canada west coast work terms andrea you are with it's called lucky architecture lucky studio lucky studio yeah. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. They're very um, cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, like, I'm probably not there, but they hurt me, so I'm just going to pretend that I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's sort of funny because it, it kind of feels like being at school because there's about 20 of us and maybe three people over the age of 35. Right, okay, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. I would say that the hours sort of reflect that in that people tend to work kind of late and maybe a bit too much. Mm. But we do flex Fridays. So like part of the reason people work extra is so you get every other Friday off. So that's kind of nice. Right, okay. Um, yeah, and I don't know. They do some cool projects. I am not sure that I'll actually get to do anything cool. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so far I've been like, elevations and stuff. I will say that I make noise one time in dark towers in Vancouver. That's pretty fast. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but otherwise. I don't know, all the easy things, and if nothing else, I'm learning, like, really good drawing standards, because they're super anal about good. Right, okay. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know, there's some other Dal grads. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know Miranda Kravis? She I do. kind of put me in touch with her friend that works. Oh there. right, this is a uh, okay. So that's awesome. So a little free lab, uh, free lab action carried through to your work term action. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so she's super fun, and this Ryan, who um, sort of like two with that company. Job cabin type. You're like really cutting out for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had that in that last one too. It's just like, it's like I don't know if we say anything, but uh, I literally haven't heard you say anything in like a minute. <laughs> oh, I got no. some, I got some cracks okay. and snaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, you'll just have to listen to the. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we just have to tune in, tune in to get that on the go. Um. Anyway, I was gonna say, yeah, one of the guys is friends with Peter Bracewick. Cool of course. Oh right. Okay. Um, yeah, and Shane, I just feel like you're going to work there in the rendering department one day because, you know, you're good at rendering. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's always room for improvement, but 
this. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I feel like maybe they could. They could what? Could you light room oh. to just make the light extra? Hmm. Um. Yeah, but they use uh. I had to touch once in uh when I was at state. They use what? They use. I can't hear you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, I don't know if it's related to like speaking into the microphone uh, more directly or not, but sometimes. Okay. Well, what I was saying. Sorry for all to us repeat ourselves. Yeah. Anyway, they use a program called 3ds Net. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is like, but the animation industry. Yeah. And it looks. Well, I've used it once, and I'm like, never again. I'm touching this. Well, it's like, yeah, it, it's that program is designed for very high end professional work. Yeah. So, that's cool. Their renderings are very, uh, very slick. Yes, very slick. I don't know if they'd be like Leon approved. Hmm. Yeah, that's an, the yeah. There's always an interesting the question I there because like they yeah. yeah, and they really go for the like photorealism. Yeah, but I think they have like a good aesthetic to it. Like I think yeah, for sure. I think it's like a tasteful kind of photorealism anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, all the different things going on in the office, even if I'm not be doing the most important work. Hmm. And yeah, everyone's kind of pretty, pretty friendly. Um, Michael Leckie, who I like his studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. He kind of, he's kind of like surfer meets Diogo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my like gosh! He has, he has, he's one of these people that has way more energy than most other people. So yeah, the other night. We had like day on Friday, so Thursday took us out to play ping pong. This pong bar. Um, I think he played squash semi professionally. Squash? And yeah. Hmm. Um. Anyway, yeah, he was really pushing the shots, and I was not feeling very good on Friday. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. People work hard, but they also. They play hard. They play hard. Nice. So. Oh, work hard, play hard. Classic. Classic. Classic yeah, and exactly. classy. I guess so. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, so that's... And Travis, you're with a familiar face. Yes, I am uh, right here, still here, I should say, in uh, Halifax. I, um, for my work term, I'm on with Nickham and Associates, so the... The always effervescent Benji Nickham is at the helm, and uh, and yeah, so I've got a couple guys there with me as well, familiar faces, uh, Alexander Crosby, and also known as Alex Crosby, I don't know, he's his full name there, <laughs> and Cameron Edwards, aka Cam Edwards. Um, no, he goes by Cameron. Oh, for sure, I know, that's why I'm mixing it all in. <laughs> um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, maybe... Sorry, I mean... 
Cameron. Maybe you go by Cam. I'm sorry. We just don't Cam. know. We just don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a mystery. But, uh, but yeah, it's been really good. I mean, it's a uh, fairly small firm. Like, you know, there's, um, I think including the three of us, there's 11 people there. Um, hmm. And yet to have them all there at the same time. So it's kind of... It's kind of interesting. It's a nice open space in the Hydrostone market in kind of a historical building. So it's pretty um, open and conversation flows pretty easily amongst everybody. The people there have been really helpful. and uh, But definitely we've got kind of this structure where um, Alex is kind of helping um, Cameron and I just kind of stay in different uh, on different mm -hmm, projects, mm -hmm. and, and he's kind of feeding things along to us. So so that's nice, and and yeah, and, and we're all really getting to get involved. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I've been able to work on uh, one project called Brigadoon, which is this really cool camp for kids with uh, that are either really sick or um, or have some sort of uh, some sort of thing situation befall them where they just need to go to a place and just really enjoy life and so that's what this is all about and uh the people who organize it are really great benji's deeply involved with many things as you can imagine including this place so um yeah but i got to design this kind of uh cabin for the visiting doctors that uh, got to go ahead and was working on uh design for a pizza hall is like this outdoor pavilion with a big giant pizza mm. pizza oven in it. So, mm. so a lot of uh, CAD time, a lot of uh, SketchUp time. But uh, yeah, it's been really good for me. I mean, those were things I really didn't um, take on too much digital representation uh, right. in the B three term, and I definitely am leagues ahead of where where I was previous from the experience so far. So yeah, so so far so good. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you said there are 11 people there? Yeah, like including, um, all of the different, um, like administrative people and, uh, you know, like there's four, uh, technicians, there's kind of a, you know, a, right. a technician department and, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's pretty fun. And how many, how many at Lucky Studio, Andrea? How many? Your audio's. No. <laughs> 25? Can you hear me now? Yeah. 20-ish. 20-ish. Okay. Yeah. Which is... So, Lucky Studio is only about three years old. Hmm. Yeah. So, that's a lot. No, for like, sure, yeah. Yeah, the people who started, like, two years ago, they're like, yeah, there were three of us, and now there's 20. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big, busy place, but... I don't know. At least I feel like it's they're they're managing the growth pretty well. Like everyone seems to be busy working on stuff. No, really, not knowing what to do or anything. So hmm. I don't know. That's not bad. You soon you will need the uh, a lucky tower. No, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah to to put already... it into perspective. Yeah. Um. <laughs> The architecture department at Stantec is 170 people. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like the one in Edmonton. The one in Edmonton, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's cool. It's awesome that we're getting uh, experience at all oh, these no, different wait. places. Oh, no, wait. Hold on. That No, yeah, that's Edmonton. Yeah, that's right. So big. <laughs> Baller. So big. Baller alert. 
Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Um, okay, so work terms. So there's yeah, there's a little snippet of what we're doing, and I think yeah, our intention is to talk to some more people as we go along, and uh, yeah, really kind of compile some sort of a glimpse into the wild world of work term for for our class. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty sweet. So <clears throat> yeah, it'd be pretty fun. So the topic of today, though architecture and film i think it's Ooh. again fantastic and uh, you guys ready to roll into that yeah <laughs> <laughs> apparently <laughs> yeah sweet yeah um shane's gonna shane's gonna tell us all about everything yeah well so. no i wouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah shane so you you sent us some notes and you had sort of a few different categories about or like categories of architecture and film. Do you yeah. want to talk about those a bit? Sure. Um, so uh, I, uh, in thinking about architecture and film, I sort of started to uh, split, categorize the films uh, in a few different ways. So I think you can have films that are actually about architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have films that use architecture maybe mostly aesthetically. Um, And then you have films that use uh, sort of architectural representation types, things, you know, things that we usually see in school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you also have films where space or architecture is an actual sort of plot element. Right. Um, And so within that, you have kind of buildings as a setting versus a building that's almost a character Um, and sort of going off of that, the built environment maybe has an active or a passive role in affecting the characters. Yeah. I'm particularly, sorry, go ahead there. Oh, I was just going to say that those categories, uh, they're not exclusive. So something might fall into multiple categories. Right. Right. Um, So just on that, uh, that kind of uh, those groupings there, the last one there where the film, um, you know, where the architecture itself almost becomes a character or gets involved in the in the plot of the film. I think that's pretty fantastic. I definitely find in a lot of, uh, and we'll touch on these, but like in spookier films, uh, they seem to always have some sort of a, a house element <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, kind of manifests the idea of some sort of a, the evil side of things and stuff like that. I, I tend to I've always really liked those. And I think it's liking those types of films um, that may have culminated in my interest in architecture, right? It's just always kind of, mm-hmm. I really love that, uh, you know, the big haunted mansion type thing or whatever, definitely as a, uh, as a young lad. And, uh, and yeah, it just really got me interested in, in houses for sure. Well, then we should talk about a little bit about The Shining. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Which... Um... <laughs> Hopefully everyone's familiar with, with the film. It's a, it's a Stephen King novel that was turned into a movie by Stanley Kubrick. Right. And uh, it's basically about this family that goes up to a, uh, a mountain resort mm. to take care of it over the winter. The Overlook Hotel. The Overlook Hotel, yeah. And um, basically what happens is... is it's a, a, um, a man, a wife, and, and their son. And basically the guy goes crazy and tries to kill his family. 
Um, <laughs> right. Well, while well, they're trapped in this hotel and it's kind of snowed in on top of a mountain over the winter. Exactly. It's like you get the yeah. cabin fever thing going on there, which is... Uh, yeah. Only it's a giant it, exactly it's a giant cabin <laughs> right and so um do you know where that was filmed i think oh i didn't look it up i think i'm not sure the actual place is yeah, I meant in to look it up, I oregon <laughs> maybe and it's really? yeah i think and i also believe it's different different building on the end like there's inside and outside are different things there's right yeah yeah so kind of the interesting thing here you mentioned it's this giant place and so I think in this movie, scale really uh, plays a huge role there when they're, especially, yeah, when they're kind of trapped in there and it's just like, you know, it's an individual person or the son, um, his name escapes me now, but he, uh, there's like a lot of scenery, scenes of him traveling through these corridors on his mm-hmm. tricycle and yeah. Uh, yeah, just his overall sense, like overwhelming sense of aloneness and just these kind of giant rooms and, and the fact that this giant place is in the middle of nowhere, it's inaccessible, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was kind of... Well, and, and, and in those scenes uh, that you're talking about with the sun, you you get the impression that the building is big enough that you wouldn't be, it would, you'd have a hard time exploring the whole thing. Right, right. And of course, because it's a hotel, you're going down these you know, corridors of, uh, of rooms and, you know, you, it, it feels like there are a ton of doors because there are. And so there are a ton of these spaces that are, are kind of, uh, they're not revealed until you open the door. And so you don't know how big these spaces are. And so in, in your mind, it's, it's a very, uh, mysterious thing. Yeah, for sure. It's a, um, yeah, and so there's obviously there's the maze outside of this place as well. If you're familiar with the movie, that plays a, a major role. And um, and yeah, and so I think those corridors. I think the way that uh, Kubrick, if I can just be casual and go last name on that, um, I think the way that he was looking at uh, showing that kind of spatial awareness in there was just that to kind of confuse you and move you around in sort of a maze thing. Like there's. No, there's a few things in this documentary called Room 237 that kind of mm-hmm. breaks down some um, information to shine, just kind of other Kubrick things. Uh, mm-hmm. There's um, windows uh, in offices that are having daylight come through them, but then when you actually look at the plan of the building, it would be impossible for that to happen, right? So there's all these kind of different plays on um, confusing where you're at and kind of creating mm-hmm. creating this, uh, yeah, this giant labyrinth out of the hotel as well which i think is pretty cool and just adds to the uh the creepiness of the whole thing this whole aloneness definitely and um i guess this is one of those films that you would say that the building is a character in the film absolutely yeah i mean this is pretty much the example of that uh the building is home to all these sort of supernatural forces that sort of that that really do seem to come from the building itself, right? Um, and towards the end, there's sort of a big plot point where, um, where one of these supernatural beings actually affects the physical world, um, which before that point hasn't happened. And so, you know, up to this point, you you may have seen it as being a the supernatural things could have been in the imaginations of the characters. Right, okay. But, but, but when you get to this point, the supernatural action actually affects the physical world. And, and it, it, it's one of those things that uh, kind of throws you off as a 
as a viewer because it, it, it changes right, it's the like breaking it, down. It was it not like recreates suspense in the film basically right I love it. But yeah, so just a uh, personal comment on The Shining. First scary movie I ever watched uh, as like, I think it was like 12 or something like that, 11 or 12. And I was just like, I got actually like physically super scared. And I was like locked on the couch and just, uh, yeah, didn't, didn't want to go anywhere. I was like home by myself, you know, watching a scary movie at night. Oh and my God. Uh, yeah, it was always, uh, it's my first experience in cinematic terror, I think was... Uh, it's like legitimately <laughs> scary. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just it just like the whole thing just feels really creepy, and it's like nothing's really happening for a lot of the time. But I don't know. Yeah, the suspense and just the yeah that. Well, part of tell. the reason the reason there's so much suspense in that movie is because right at the beginning they actually tell you what's going to happen. They make it yeah. obvious that. <laughs> They make it obvious it. that he's going to go crazy. Right. When they talk about the previous caretaker. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and then Jack says, like, well, that's not going to happen to me. It's like, obviously it is. That's what the whole movie is about. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, his eyebrows. I mean, obviously you're going to go crazy if you have eyebrows like that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's all foreshadowing. They're very fur. Very his eyebrows fur, were yeah. made for being crazy. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yes. So yeah. So um. So The Shining. Uh. Also, and just uh, maybe rolling into um, Wes Anderson here, but the interiors in The Shining. I mean, the tapestries and things like that, all super well thought out and like kind of very lavish. These interiors in this place and, and dramatic. And I think if Stanley Kubrick doesn't do the best job at that, uh, Wes Anderson surely does. Yeah. I mean. So Wes Anderson's nice to talk about because I think a lot of people will be familiar with his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this his sort of uh, uncompromising vision and his sort of uh, sort of like an infinite attention to detail. Mm-hmm. That's basically what he does. Um, so there are lots of his movies we could talk about. Um, I think, you know... We could we could have a discussion more generally about how he makes films in a particular way that represent space in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so let's quickly talk about that, and then uh, he he does a thing with architectural representation that's interesting. Um, so first of all, Wes Anderson has like some pretty clear characteristics that everybody's familiar with, especially center composition. Uh, and like a really symmetrical frame. You love symmetry, don't you, Shane? Oh, but I mean, he does it so well, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I love center composition too, actually. A yeah, lot of no, times. Yeah, I totally do. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, so he does that. Especially when taking pictures. I love just putting it in center. <laughs> oh, it's. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so is there um, just just before we jump off from that though, like this uh, use of symmetry and like this devout diehard use of symmetry. Do you think that's somehow adding to like some sort of purity in the message that he's trying to portray, or do you think there's some real purpose behind the symmetry um, hmm. beyond just you know the visual balance and how lovely it is to to look at something like that? Or hmm, that's a good question. Um... I think, well, there are a couple things that he does with it 
related to space anyways that I can talk about. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess the biggest thing, one of the things that he does is he shoots these really wide shots, um, that are, and they usually have a character in the center, something like that. Right. Okay. Um, but that's a really cool shot because what it does is it gives you a lot of uh, setting. You can see you can see a lot of the, the actual place that the character is in. Yeah. And so with Wes Anderson, place is usually a very significant factor, and it's not just aesthetically, but it's usually a part of the story. Yeah. And I mean, it is in a lot of stories, but he's drawing attention to it. Um, and and so like and, and there are also examples of of using actually symmetrical places too. So the Grand Budapest Hotel is probably the best example of that. It's a hotel, so unsurprisingly it's symmetrical, but you know, that the exterior is symmetrical. The interior lobby is very symmetrical. And and he he shoots it symmetrically in a lot of scenes. Um one of the other things that he does that I really like is he uses camera movements in a way uh, that give the viewer a sense of the space. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of those movements is that sort of whip pan. He'll whip like 90 degrees right. or, or 180. And I really like that because it's kind of cool. Well, it's but like you're also, still within the room. It's not like you just looked off the side of the stage or off the side of the set or well, something like that. Exactly. It actually feels like instead of having this cut where suddenly you jump to somewhere else, um, the motion of actually turning, it, it keeps you oriented mm. from one character to the next or from one one frame to the next frame. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I think there's something nice about that in terms of like I said, keeping the viewer oriented in the space. And one of the reasons he can do that is because a lot of the spaces that are designed are very, uh, they're like sort of fully fleshed out rooms, like fully designed rooms. Right. You know, when you think of like apartments on sitcoms, there's, it's usually half of an apartment, mm -hmm. you know? So you, you probably wouldn't ever be able to do that kind of thing. Um, but it seems like it, it I guess it, I guess maybe what I'm saying is he's successful in convincing me that this is actually a real place. Right, spatially spatially like it's realistic. Yeah, I think so. Except not realistic. <laughs> Except of course in typical Wes Anderson like it's fantasy. Like better than realistic. World. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hyper, hyper awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys know, but he, he's also done like, a, he's designed, I think, a cafe or two mm. in some other kinds of spaces. Like, I mean, Wes Anderson is an interior designer, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think he um, has some interior designers that work with him, too. Yeah, I, I wanted to make a comment about the art direction in terms of the use of color. Because, mm. mm. like... I was like, I mean, obviously everyone's a fan of Wes Anderson. But I was like, oh, Roger must just have a field day, like, <laughs> looking at all the beautiful... Like, if you look at, you know, the costumes and mm -hmm. sort of the different interiors and stuff, like, you know, just <laughs> it's like that exercise that we did with the um, complementary colors. Right, the, like, the middle value. The combinations, right. it's just so yeah. perfect. Um, yeah, and like Grand Budapest Hotel, Shane, that's 
that's your shade of pink. It's like, <laughs> it's I mean, it really is. It's a good shade of pink. I never even no, but that's a good that. point. That's a good point because it is something that yeah. uh, it's actually something I was thinking about about how we have a lot of buildings that you know we we have this um, impetus to use cheap materials, which is going to happen no matter what. But there's there's a good way to use cheap materials, and there's a good way to construct material and color palettes on buildings. And I think when I walk around and I look at a lot of the buildings that I like, maybe I don't like them formally, and maybe I don't like uh, you know how they've masked it out. But usually the thing that bugs me the most is is these material and color compositions that are done wrong. Hmm. And it's either because the palette is wrong or because there's a certain type of contrast that's screwed up. And I find that color contrast is usually something that's really, it's just, it's done wrong. You have these colors that don't go together or they don't contrast enough. And it it really just <laughs> makes these buildings so horrible. Well, you think it's, you <laughs> and, think it's uh, the, uh, like the difficulty in that challenge is what creates like white building after white interior after white interior like it does it seems like just hmm. in general in architecture material is different but i mean as far as color and like painted things it seems like there's hmm. just none of that well some of these buildings that i'm referring to i mean would be better if they were all white <laughs> <laughs> okay that's what you're saying. Yeah. they could almost white be better if they were anything else it's just it's just surprising that it's Somebody just, arrived at this color palette, right? You know, right. So it's I'm just, curious. It is a hard thing to do. Like it's definitely it's really satisfying when you actually come across something where there's color and it's used well, and it's just looks great. Right. <laughs> I love color. Definitely, definitely. And yeah. I mean, the the thing is, we don't need. So one of the things I keep thinking about are like strip malls. Like, you know, strip malls are ugly, and usually they're really value driven, but in the execution, it's it's where those sort of things fall apart. And it's it's not that humble materials can't be nice. I mean, humble materials are what we're like most familiar with. Mm -hmm. It's just somewhere something went kind of wrong. And I don't know. We're just not putting them together properly. Right. Well, and I think that's just it. I mean, if you apply craft, uh, you know, to plywood right you can have mm -hmm. these kind of uh, you know or more gandhi interiors that are all this super beautiful pieces that are you know um just set in there properly or you can mm -hmm. build like the treehouse that i built when i was like 10 that's just uh <laughs> janky it's very easy to go janky with uh, with cheap materials yeah. and things like that yeah, too right exactly. so so craft in there um and but just on this color thing just one more little tidbit that i definitely thrown out on the podcast before but i will again um, mm -hmm. And that's how um, we do seem to move towards this world of colorlessness in, in architecture. And a um, perfect example is it's like Villa Savoir. Or, um, mm -hmm. so it, like that was a, like a deep, rich, burgundy interior building, right? And, very, and lots of variations mm -hmm. of that color. And it's seen some process where they you know peeled away the layers of paint and it just had become whiter and whiter and whiter until it's you know just a, <laughs> this blank white place which is yeah. so far from uh what Corb would want i mean he was definitely a definitely. active painter and stuff like that right even perhaps more yeah. so than an architect so mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. yeah i always forget about studied visual 
to him as a painter. Right. Like, yeah, right. He's a painter. <laughs> yeah. And his paintings were, if I recall correctly, like very color driven and very, I don't know, they're very interesting, right? And it's interesting to think about a building like Villesauvois that would have this really uh, kind of stark exterior that reveals this sort of like deeply colored or really rich interior. Like, like there's something rich, nice yeah. about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Opening. And the, it seems uh, like a shame to make the interior as white as the exterior. Right. But it yeah. takes great pictures, you know. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boring pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, so what's so, interesting? Yeah. So. Yeah. So let's quickly huh? talk about. I, I don't know if you guys have seen the Life Aquatic. I have. Um, yeah. Steve Zissou. Yeah, yes. Steve Bill Murray. What a Bill yeah. Murray. Fantastic. So there's this great scene in that movie, um, where they're uh, they're showing the boat that they all live on, and they're they're trying to describe the boat. And so, what the scene actually is is a section cut of the boat, uh, where the right. camera will will. It's basically on a giant crane. They actually built half of a boat. Mm. Uh, and it's on a giant crane, and it'll show one room and describe what's happening in that room. And then and then the camera will like pan over and down or something like that to another room and, and talk about what's happening in there. And it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the cool, it's one of the coolest scenes. Like I said, I mean, it's literally this giant half of a boat right and you know what i think we'll have to link some images of this yeah to this podcast yeah. i'm just checking one out now of them filming here on set and i mean i had seen the shame but i didn't really realize it was actually one big it's giant actually enormous a real boat. thing that, yeah yeah it's it's humongous like you know there's helicopters and, well, submarines and so this and so why would he why would he do that i mean obviously like aesthetically it's a cool thing but also it's because He's actually interested in showing you the scale of this place, mm-hmm. showing you the relationship between these rooms and those kinds of things. Like, it's, It actually does the things that we expect a section drawing to do in architecture. And it's weird because you people don't do that in film. No. And I think, I think, again, it's one of those things that he does to actually give you a sense of the space. I don't know. No, I like, yeah, no, for sure. I think that's very well said. Um, I mean, it's part of that, like creating the super detail-rich world that you to believe in, you know? right? Yeah, and it, yeah, it's yeah, because it's it's such an interesting balance of like, there's obviously something fantastic about it because you can see because the boat is cut in half, and but there's also something about it that makes it feel, I don't know, believable. It's weird. So in that <laughs> respect, would you qualify that sort of like the boat, the section, that scene? Uh, would you mm-hmm. say there that he's creating just this kind of spatial awareness and, um, you know, kind of aesthetically using architecture to um, create? Oh, yeah, it's a, kind of more of a spatial thing. Or do you think the boat is actually taking on a like sort of a character role there then? I mean, they they exist within hmm. this boat. I mean, it's... Uh, I wouldn't say the boat is a character in that film. Right, okay. Um, is it? I suppose, well, I'm even trying to think of of how uh, the boat might have an active or passive role in affecting the characters. Right, okay, yeah. Uh, I could which I think at that, some yeah. points it does, just because of uh, 
sort of the relationship things that come up with being in close contact with people, you know, in a space that is limited, you know, it's not. Right. And it's kind of like when you talk about that limited space, the skin of the boat is, is like the separation between them and this ocean, the massive ocean, you know, this mm -hmm. kind of this unknown sort of a thing. So it's almost like a, uh, yeah, some sort of protective layer. Well, exactly. It, it, it is protective, of course. It's refuge, but it also it, it's the thing that's, I mean, it's the thing that's trapping them as well. Hmm. And Ooh. we could be talking, we could be talking about the shining right now. Right, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the, same, the same rules apply. Yeah, cool. Um, so there's something interesting, I guess, in a lot of movies about how, about being trapped. I mean, that's, that's a theme that comes up all the time, of course. And, in fact, it comes up in a very powerful way um, in The Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. Quentin Tarantino. So I don't know if you guys want to hey, talk wait, about that. Nice segue. Nice segue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I want to mention before we move on is, you guys, Halloween is coming up. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you're going to be, just watch it. Wes Anderson movie. And there yeah. you go. <laughs> nice. Have you, uh, have you had any Wes Anderson costumes in the past? Shane or Andrew? I have. You know, I don't... Yeah. Have you? What have you been? Uh, I went as... Um, what's his name from Grand Budapest Hotel? Zero? Is that his name? Oh, perfect. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I have. I think I got the red toque at one point oh. and then, like, didn't get yeah. the rest of the costume. But it was funny. A few years ago... Um, one of my classmates from UVic emailed me and she's like, I was at this Wes Anderson Halloween party at this house on Fernwood Street and I walked in and your paintings were all over the wall and it made me so happy and I was like, oh, that sounds like the best. I guess she had she had gone to a party at my old mate's house and I oh, leave paintings wow. wherever nice. I go. So, like, my heart feels so warm and fuzzy thinking about Wes Anderson party at the house. Man, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so actually that would be a fantastic, just like yeah. everyone dressed yeah. as a Wes Anderson character. Nice. Well, you know what? I'm still anyway. undecided for my Halloween costume this year. So that is a wonderful, yeah. wonderful um, piece of advice. We... Yeah. We already decided your Halloween costume, Travis. Don't you remember? Mm, I feel like I remember, but just uh, remind <laughs> remind me. Shane, do you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> you guys don't remember? What was that? Um, oh, what is this guy's name? He's this artist that um, Roger ta talked about, and there was this slide oh, yeah, yeah, of the yeah, artist yeah, in that... class, and everyone clearly started laughing because <laughs> it looked like, like me. you, Travis. The, uh, oh like the uh, Jesuit monk That's guy That's who you're going to be for Halloween. Yeah. yeah, I'm that guy every day. I got to, uh, yeah, maybe I got to mix it up. You just need to put on, like, a robe, and you're good to go. No one will know who you are, but actually, um, I did find another Halloween costume for you ooh. in this other movie, which we can talk about briefly at the end. But anyway, we're going <laughs> to yeah. move on to something a little bit less lighthearted than Wes Anderson, which is yes. Quentin Tarantino, actually. Um, I'm just going to take three seconds to go to the washroom. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut this out of the podcast. Don't worry. Yeah, just, just, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, nice. yeah we don't BRB. need to go to the washroom. No, nice. Um, <laughs> well, you know, speaking of lighthearted, though, um, 
I mean, another one that we're kind of looking at here is The Truman Show. And Truman Show is a really kind of a, a wacky when you start to learn about planning and that sort of a thing and just how this whole place is laid out. And it's a real place. It's a real place in Florida um, that people live and and kind of started this whole like walk walking community or this kind of the idea, this olden timey, like with all the porches facing each other and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm... Hmm. Go on the right. I haven't seen it. I actually watched the trailer, but that's about it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> but yeah, then, it yeah. looks like this sort of I don't know. It's yeah, so weird suburban utopia kind of place. Exactly. Right? It's like yeah, the uh, it's like he's trapped in this period, and uh, and yeah, and so first year planning, um, we definitely study that community as a place where all the right ideas are there, and all these great elements. Um, you know, to create a place that is perhaps not like architecturally innovative, but it's architecturally um, like it's consistent. There's kind of a theme that goes through there that's it's almost like some sort of a hyper suburb of some sort. Um, hmm. But what ended up happening was the houses there just became like unreasonably expensive, right? Everybody wanted to live there, so it was kind of oh really? Yeah, but kind of so... became this Sorry about horrible that. place. Yeah, did it become a horrible place? Well, like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's supposed to be this nice community, but it's really not. It's just like, it's not a place where kids would grow Does up. Does it actually have a sense of community or is it just sort of a neighborhood? It's like it started as a community and became a film set. And then it was like, and then it just kind of <laughs> continued being a film set, you know? Oh, weird. Where's this? <laughs> the location where the uh, Truman the Show Truman was filmed. Show. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i forget what the place is called i don't know it's... yeah i watched the trailer and i was like i don't like jim carrey he's kind of annoying right you know yeah. what <laughs> so the Stop. the place is literally called it's called seagrove beach in florida and uh wait that's a real place this is a real place yeah and so yeah you yeah. just missed this while you were in the bathroom machine <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I, I can remember so as well. You have to listen like, to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I can have to get tuned in. I can remember as well. Um, Eric Rappaport uh, comparing this to uh, like Mackenzie Town in Calgary. If other you guys, are oh yeah, Mackenzie Town. Yeah, like That's kind of the idea of of building this live work or whatever place. But anyways, the Truman Show. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Mackenzie Town is maybe slightly better than the other suburbs that surround it, but it's still on the east side of the Deerfoot, which to me is no man's land. Ooh, like yeah, if you want to go sense. anywhere outside of Mackenzie Town, you're on the Deerfoot, which is like the most horrible freeway in Calgary. <laughs> and there's pretty the bad. public transit to get there. There is eventually going to be a light rail transit that goes out there, but right now you're just like tying your life to the Deerfoot. Nice. Anyway, on an uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yes. What's yes. Thoughts we have on that? <clears throat> hmm. Well, um, I wanted to briefly talk about the Hateful Eight. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about three movies now um, that are basically one of the biggest themes of the movie is uh, being trapped. And it's something we talked about already. Uh, and it definitely applies here, too. So the first movie I was interested in is The Hateful Eight. And I didn't get as much of a... Ch like, I wanted to rewatch it, but I, I didn't get to do that. Um, but that's Quentin Tarantino's last film. 
Uh, and basically the whole movie takes place uh, in one room. And so that's a, that's an interesting idea already. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, and, and it's cool because, you know, the, the space that they're in is important enough to the plot of the film that by the end of it you could probably draw a plan of that room hmm. uh, because you know where everybody is and you know what it looks like. Um, and so, you know, I kind of wonder what the role of the building is in that movie. Right. Um, I don't know if it's taken on a character role. Um, but as a setting, it's it's obviously... It, it, it's obviously, like, an important part of the movie. Oh, I can imagine. And uh, so I haven't seen this movie, unfortunately. I have seen it on Netflix. And I knew it was a Tarantino movie, and I wanted to check it out, but it was... Uh... Into I have to say, Shane, well. your your list is not Netflix friendly. <laughs> well, okay, I think yes, yeah, sorry. the Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movies were the only ones that were on there. So I did watch Inglorious Bastards. Oh, you did good. Um, yeah, I did. That was, that was one that I checked off the list. Okay, so um, the last thing I'll say, I, I I wish I had something more interesting to say about Hateful Eight, um, but the whole thing is there's this winter storm outside. Um, and so all, all these characters get trapped in this in this space. So, you know, you have this building. It's refuge from nature when nature's being challenging. And it's a Quentin Tarantino film, so you can imagine that it gets messy. And so, you know, your refuge from nature is really kind of perverted by, by that whole thing. Mm. Um, yeah, so Inglorious Bastards great movie if you haven't seen it it's incredible yeah um and if you haven't seen it just watch the first scene because the opening scene of that movie is it's one of the it's like one of the best scenes in a movie ever um and uh and so for those of you who don't know basically this takes place in nazi era uh france um, and it says these these Nazis uh, approach this this small cottage in rural France, and basically the whole thing is is uh, this whole scene is a discussion between uh, Colonel Hans Lada, who's a German, uh, who's a Nazi, uh, and uh, I can't remember his name, Lapidite. He's he's like a farmer. And so this whole this whole scene takes place in this one room in this cottage and and uh it's it's really about how they build tension um and how that tension changes uh as as a uh, as they reveal something about the space. Hmm. So I guess it's kind of a spoiler but it's the first scene in the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so basically, what's happening is is uh, Monsieur Lapidite is sheltering uh, Jewish people who are trying to escape the Nazis, and he's sheltering them in his house, uh, and they're they're under the floorboards of the house. And so basically, for the first half of the scene, you don't know this, and you know there's there's this obvious sort of general kind of tension right. because there's a Nazi in his house and he's doing all these little power plays and uh, 
and so you obviously you feel uncomfortable and the house is this this you know a house is a is a familiar setting it's supposed to be a nice place and there's such an element of intrusion oh for sure uh, yeah with him being in there and so anyways uh it becomes very intense once you realize that there are actually jewish people hiding there and of course at some point uh it becomes clear that colonel lada is aware of that um and so and so this is all about building tension through um everything he's doing is building tension but then also the way that you understand that space uh changes the tension and uh, i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure how uh this can be tied to architecture exactly <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it really is like this idea of the house, um, you know, the home, the hearth, this idea of like safety or refuge that should exist. And, uh, and within this architecture, um, that all changes that it's almost like the water balloon gets pierced by the pin when this, uh, you know, I forget what the guy's name is, but whoever the head Nazi guy comes in and he's just kind of there waiting around and it's dragging and you're, you know, you're just wondering when that, uh, when that balloon's going to burst as the pins pushing against the, uh, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's, that's the way that I, <laughs> I would think about I it. Very I nice. just felt like I, I think there's like, there's a lot that you can, there's a lot that can be learned in terms of representation and like light. Yeah. And those definitely. kinds of things from these films. Um, like the light I mean at the beginning so you're out that that first shot is like the Nazis kind of driving up the countryside and it's like gloriously blue like almost the landscape is almost surreal and then it's it's beautiful yeah side of the cottage and I noticed that the, there's almost this mysterious light that was like on the tape right it's right in the center of the two of them yes and you can't really figure out if it's coming from the windows or where it's it seems like it's coming really. from above but yeah it's, it is a little bit it's yeah. weird yeah. yeah yeah and then that final shot where um so like yeah spoiler the not the nazis shoot the jews under the floorboards yeah and one of them um skates and they just watch her like through the frame of the door right. and it's all black yeah. from the interior and you just like it's just framing her running into the distance into these you know it's amazing right out. yeah it's like gorgeous shot so anyway it's like oh yeah yeah I guess I guess the one that light and everything I guess one of the sort of um, ways you can carry this into architecture is uh, it's a more general way that film and architecture are related, which is the element of time. Hmm. And, you know, the way, uh, the way a film obviously reveals things to you over time, uh, buildings can do that too, mostly related to procession. Um, but there's, there's always going to be a, a certain element of time as you move from one space in a building to another space, or I guess it doesn't have to be in a building. Um, but there, there are ways that you can actually pace that. And so if you want to do that to create tension, I think, I think there are ways to do that in a similar, in a similar way to film. 
Yeah. Nice. Um, so you said there was the third movie there as well. You were talking about there, Shane. Yeah. Um, well, I thought we should talk about Blade Runner. Oh, the now is this which Blade Runner are we talking about? The original Blade Runner or Blade Runner twenty forty nine or both? Well, I was thinking. I was. I was assuming the original. Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, it, they're they are nice and closely related, uh, so we can talk about both of them. Right. Um, yeah. I'm amazing I'm sure. movies. Really interesting. Um, just throwing my opinion out there first before I really delve into it. I'm somebody who like really doesn't uh, like dig too deep into like sci-fi typically or like olden timey things I call it. So like you know like uh, <laughs> horses and like knights and stuff. Yeah. Like I I like to watch uh, like twentieth twenty first century realist uh sort of sort of stuff but blade runner or anything that's in like the near future um yeah. is just it's thrilling to um watch and to see the choices they made regarding everything and how we live our lives like obviously including architecture and all those things but uh but yeah i found uh these blade runner movies were fantastic yeah and and so i mean the thing about blade runner is basically it's it's a dystopian setting and uh, they use architecture to describe the dystopia. Mm-hmm. It's sort of things that you would expect. Um, I wrote here soaring skyscrapers and buildings of like of a scale that you that are, that's sort of unfathomable. Right. Um, and, and of course those are used to represent hierarchy uh, because they're contrasted with the claustrophobic uh, ground level streets, you know, and it's sort of like something you'd see in a in a really overpopulated city, right? Um, which basically that's kind of what these are, um, and yeah, and I, I guess the whole the whole thing is is you have this amazing space, these incredible buildings that are like sort of technologically incredible. Um, but the sort of as- oppressive streetscape. <laughs> right. It's um, well, and I think that's, that's kind of something they, I mean, it's almost as if they've had to build and I'm sure we've done this ourselves, but it's like, it's, it's so inhabitable. Like outside is almost like this desolate wasteland. And so we've created the built environment is now really inhabited inside uh, the places, or it seems like a much richer uh, environment inside these places, and uh, mm-hmm. and the outside isn't something. It's like um, just thinking, Blade Runner 2049, There's this use of uh, light that kind of as people are walking through these the kind of enormous rooms or these halls, um, light will kind of follow them through these areas, and and oftentimes mm-hmm. the light is filtered through. Um, kind of like moving standing water or something like that. It gives that kind of ripple yeah, effect yeah. or that sort of thing. And like that sort of texture and that sort of, um, you know, I, I just really wanted to be there. I wanted to, I wanted to test that myself. And I just, I, when to I actually experience it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, one of my overarching themes is, is always to, um, is to try and experience being behind or underneath water. And I think um, through light is pretty, uh, is a pretty, awesome way to do it that's actually much more realistic than just getting everything wet you know yeah well 
and I think the cool thing about those scenes that you're referring to is that um, the the spaces are really massive and they're kind of unusual spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and without the light going over them, you don't actually understand the shape of, of the space. And so it kind of comes back to that idea that, that space, it, it doesn't exist in the same way in, in the absence of light. Or we don't perceive it. I mean, obviously we don't see it. But. Right, but uh, yeah, it's it's private as well. And so like, when we're looking at this kind of dystopian future, um, it seems to be like uh, brutalism is like the, uh, it's kind of this style of architecture that almost kind of captures that to me. And, and perhaps it's the material of it and, and just kind of, and those types of things. But when you're talking about those rooms, that was what came to mind to me. It was just like, oh, well, it's just like a big kind of giant brutalist concrete place you know mm -hmm. yeah and i think that reflects um it reflects the idea that the whole film is about sort of being trapped it's about it has this sort of cynical oh, feeling there's a there's an impending sense of doom in this movie it's 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 ultimately like a sign a, a sci-fi version of a film noir uh and film noir is typically a film where there's some impending doom basically and um yeah and i i guess what i'm saying is the whole environment of blade runner really refers to these themes you know the themes of like social order that's being clearly reflected in the architecture mm. the the sense of being trapped in the impending doom is reflected in the architecture i mean even the main character deckard he's he's trapped by his circumstance um and and he's hunting these replicants who are who are slaves but he's as much a slave as they are right exactly i guess yeah and, and i i guess it's hmm i guess what i'm trying to say is that like it's it's interesting to see how the space reflects those themes so clearly yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so as far as um any other dystopian type movies like that andrew you seem to be a person who likes this kind of end of the world type thing you're always you're always harping no. on about you know i dystopian things freak me out i actually haven't seen blade runner and i kind of i kind of knew that it was a classic but then i was like oh i'm gonna watch the trailer and i was like oh wait this is like a post star wars harrison ford movie why haven't i seen this yeah because Obviously, who doesn't love Harrison Ford? Um, so I'm actually going to watch this movie. Um, I was curious, Shane, if you've seen Metropolis, because I've, I haven't seen that, but I think that's something that's kind of popular. No, the original one. The, no, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's funny that none of us have seen that movie. That's supposed to be like a really... Yeah, like that should probably be on our list. Maybe. Um, I guess I could talk about this movie that I watched pretty briefly. No, and yeah, so you know about. yeah, and so one of the things is that I, I'm not actually a legit film person, <laughs> right? Okay. And uh, <laughs> if Sophia is <laughs> listening to this, uh, she'll call me out on it. Because um, every time she tries to talk to me about cool movies, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I watched one of these movies that's definitely like for the film. Buff. oh right okay yeah 
it was it was a difficult film to watch, and oh. I don't know if I actually re- recommend it to you guys, but so I watched this film called Stalker. Oh, Tarkovsky. Yeah, is... uh, have you seen this? <laughs> no, I I need to watch it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess. So it 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 was rated second top movie after Blade Runner by the British Film Institute members. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I I decided to watch it because. Um, Michael Leckie, who I'm working for, he's teaching a course at UBC right now, and I guess he made them watch this on day one. And I guess they've also had a movie night at the office where he made them watch it, and I don't know, I was talking to one of the girls, and she's like, yeah, like, we had this movie night planned for right after a deadline, and everyone was just kind of exhausted and, like, trying to get through this two-hour and 45-minute movie that's in Russian, and Anyway, it's also sort of this dystopian kind of um, movie where um, this guy called the stalker is taking um, like a professor and a writer into this area called the zone, which is, I don't know, supposedly there was a meteor there or something and no one is allowed in and there's this place within the zone called the room. Which will supposedly fulfill all of your all of your dreams or something like that. Oh. Um, <laughs> sorry, like yeah, and it. <laughs> sorry. I just I love that idea of like a genie in the bottle type thing. Yeah, but yeah, except it's super dark and um, very slow moving, and uh, yeah, so it kind of starts off um, in this place that I'm like, I don't know, maybe that's just what Soviet-era Russia looks like. I'm not really sure. It's pretty rough. And it's also when they're when they're in sort of the this, like regular world that they live in, it's all filmed in like this sort of sepia tones and then kind of like Wizard of Oz to be honest. Like once they get to the zone it turns into color. Um, but it's also sort of this dark place like um it was filmed in uh where was it estonia and it's funny because when at the beginning when they said that they're they're going to this this place the zone and you know their desires are going to be fulfilled or whatever i sort of thought that it was going to be this paradise like place but really what it is is well in in reality where it was filmed was at this um, like Estonian, abandoned Estonian hydro plant or something. Or no, wait, that was just it was upstream. Anyway, there was an there's abandoned plant upstream, and a lot of the movie they're sort of like slowly moving through this landscape, and then they get visits to this weird abandoned building that they have to go through, and they're like wading through this really dodgy looking water and. Anyway, anyway, apparently, apparently ten, ten years, years later, later um, the director, director his wife, and, and the guy who played the writer all died of cancer, and it was like yeah. probably linked to whatever was yeah, in the water. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy. Um, that is that is definitely dark. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess if I were to categorize it, like probably this building could be sort of like. A character that's affecting these people, but I think it's also sort of 
just about, about like using the landscape and the architecture, and the architecture to sort of, I don't know, create like a really um, defined place, I suppose. Um, and I don't know, there's probably some things to talk about, but like the idea of this room that grants you all your wishes. But, mm. And the, the thing is that it's also, the whole thing felt sort of psychological too, where you weren't really sure if this, the guy, the stalker who was leading them, to me, I felt like he was schizophrenic or something, and this place didn't really exist, and Ooh. people were just trusting that it was, and in the end they thought, like, maybe it didn't. Because the way that they're sort of, like, moving around the landscape, he, he's like, you can't, like, you can't go over there, you have to go, we have to go roundabout way, and I don't know. Anyway, if you're feeling if you're feeling like you want a, uh... <laughs> if you're feeling bold, you get three hours. If to you're kill. feeling bold and you yeah. have two hours and forty five minutes to kill, yeah, check out this movie. It was like the cinematography is quite beautiful. Um, yeah, well, I want to watch uh, Solaris. That's one of his most famous. Yeah, movies. that's one of his as well. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I was reading some reviews and some people seem to like that one better. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe it's more approachable. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so that... Oh, anyway, um, and the other thing, Travis, was that I feel like you could actually go with this stock guy for Halloween, too. Because oh, you guys kind of have the same haircut, and right. you've got the Russian accent down. Oh, nice. Nobody would know who you were. Right. You'd have to, like... You have to explain it every single time. You're like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm this guy from this movie. Have you seen this thing? But you don't know. <laughs> from this maybe... Russian movie, don't have you seen it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so. Well. There, you're good to go for the next two Halloween. Thank you. Yes, I'm getting so many ideas. <laughs> so many ideas for my Halloween costume. I, uh, I'm i also very excited about Halloween um, because my birthday is just a couple days before Halloween. So it's always a fun time Ooh. for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like Halloween's kind of like my thing. Birthday too. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, so yeah. So pretty heavy um, themes overarching. It seems to be like being trapped is something we've all talked on here <laughs> as far well, as it, like the structures and it and makes how sense that it comes up so much. You know. Yeah. Uh, just because a building is supposed to be something that protects you and something that you use, and so when it gets used against you, it's oh, it's, it's really unsettling. I guess. Right. Right. Well, you guys, we've been going for an hour and 15 minutes here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are we uh, uh, feeling like there's any other um, really important tidbits, architecture and film, that we haven't uh, touched on, Shane, that you wanted to? Um, well, I mean, I had a few other movies. I mean, I didn't do get as much research done as I wanted, but there are some other movies to mention, you know, like The Truman Show. Is, is about a very peculiar place um, and how it falls apart. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, it's obviously about surveillance. And so if you're into Foucault and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you should re-watch re The Truman Show. With that um, sort of, with your Foucault vision on. Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Force Majeure. No, that one, no, no, it's a very, it, 
Look it up. I'm not going to explain it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, I watched the trailer. It's like a comedy, right? I guess you could describe it as maybe like a... It looks like a comedy. It's kind of a comedy-ish. But it's Swedish or something. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess the, the hotel that they stay in is an Alvaralto building. Hmm. Um, yeah, so look that up. That's pretty sweet. What else? Um, the movie Columbus... I guess Andrea and I watched Columbus. <laughs> yeah. And it's a it's a movie I about like it. <laughs> Wow. Like Ohio or I don't Christopher. Know. It was okay. It, it was, was kind of okay. cool because it's not often that I mean so the the main character is this girl, she's probably about 19 or something and is working sort of this crappy job, but she's really interested in architecture and they're in this town Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's actually has all these great buildings, which I didn't know about. Anyway, and maybe I don't know. It felt like one of those movies that sort of has this Garden Statey vibe, except that there's sort of this weird tension between this girl, guy that she meets, and you're like, I don't know if this is gonna be like a weird, like, romance where he's too for her or what, and then it turns out that they there is no romance. And they're just kind of like this weird pair that hangs out. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It, yeah, it, I wouldn't watch it again. But it was it was kind of cool to like have the main character be related to architecture and then go looking at all these things and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I love that they're going and looking at these buildings and talking yeah. <laughs> and actually talking about them. It, it's it's yeah. it's fun, uh, and it's a beautiful movie for sure. I I just. Uh, I also thought it was kind of insufferable. So, <laughs> anyway. so just, but just on that <laughs> yeah. sort of a topic, and I know we are probably wrapping up here, but um, just like documentaries on architecture, um, you know, kind of real life stories and things like that. Is there anything, uh, Shane, that you've come across and you found inspirational or that you've gone back to? Stories of yeah, um, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast. In it itself. definitely could be. That's why I was just kind of like, oh, it's because there's yeah, there's lots of there's definitely <laughs> lots of documentaries out there. Um, I mean, kind of classic ones. The Louis Kahn, you know, my, my architect about his son's story about his dad, and just kind of learning more about the um, you know the personal dimensions of Louis Kahn and his multiple families and all this sort of stuff is kind of mm-hmm. interesting, you know. Oh no, <laughs> giving that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I watched the first half of that. Um, because I was writing my paper on Leecon. But, I don't know, it was okay. Um, I do have to say there's this one that I came across that I didn't get a chance to watch, but have you heard of this movie, Visual Acoustics? Shane, I feel like you'd really like I haven't. Sounds amazing. Um, it's, um, it's about, uh, here, I'm just looking up a little blurb. Um, it explores the life and career of Julius Schulman, who is a widely regarded by experts as the greatest architectural photographer. Hmm. And I guess he... Um, no, he did a lot of the was, photos for those case study houses, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so cool. I think that would be a really cool one to watch. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and there's and speaking yeah. of which, there's a there's a documentary on the Eames. Well. That's what I was just so gonna say. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's actually a pretty good one about uh, Charles and Ray. 
Games. I guess I didn't know they were such a uh, duo. You know what I mean? They really. Uh, oh man, design so power, power couple. couple. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's oh, awesome man. too. Yeah, definitely like that one. So, but like I said, cool. that's a topic for a whole another uh, podcast. So maybe that's a uh, a good place to go with this next is into architectural documentaries. Yeah, maybe people can uh, submit their requests for things that they want to hear us talk about. <laughs> yeah. We should absolutely do that, actually. Yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be great. We take all types of requests, as long as it's uh, architecture-related. Yeah. Perhaps even not. Maybe we just go totally off the rails with this thing, which is kind of where, <laughs> where this is going Speaking now. of going off the rails. We don't have anything else in common, so I don't know what we would talk about. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Travis, you could do a solo episode on cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just... I'll go on and talk about... Actually, no, but Shane's actually... Shane's pretty into cars, too, aren't you, Shane? Oh, yeah, yeah Shane's into cars. Bit, you yeah. guys could do an episode on cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll figure it all out. Um, I would just be like, but why don't they make cars boxy anymore? They were so cute. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair question. And those round headlights. Why, why aren't those around anymore, either? Oh, so many good ideas. So many good plans. So you can agree with me on that one, Shane. I know. I know. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> we all love old BMWs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. um, if that's it, we should probably right, wrap well, this up. Yeah. Oh, it was a fun chat, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast again, Shane. Thanks for Yeah, it's pretty on. sweet. So, I, yeah, I guess we, like, are we going to sign off of this or are we just going to drop it out? You can just, like, edit this out, I guess, or whatever oh, you're going to do. I, well, I was like, well, okay. <laughs>